We are in the fourth book of the Bible, the book of Numbers, chapter 28. So if you'll turn there. Numbers chapter 28, and we'll continue our journey through the scriptures. So tonight we'll start at Numbers chapter 28 and see if we can cover three chapters tonight. So, um, Calendar says July. It feels like September. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind the cool weather. Wasn't that crazy last night, that storm that came through? So, um, and in, in, interesting too, Seattle, this is more Seattle weather. Seattle was 100 degrees today. So, so um, <laughs> feast or famine, it seems like. So, anyway, it is uh, the warmer weather is going to come back. A uh, couple of quick announcements. One is look in your bulletin for the things that are taking place here at Calvary Chapel. I want to remind parents. That middle schooler class is going to start up this Sunday at 10.30, so they have tonight, of course, middle schoolers and the high schoolers, and then Sunday morning, the middle schoolers at 10.30 service, so I wanted to remind you of that. Also, I want to give you an update uh, quickly. Uh, We have been praying for uh, a number of families, and a number of families have gone through some loss. Uh, Jerry and Eileen Hayes, who have been a a member of uh, this congregation ever since the beginning, and actively involved. Their nephew, as uh, most of you know, was involved in a motocross accident on Saturday and uh, was on life support, so we were praying for him. They did take him off life support on Monday. He passed away, and so um, they're going to do the memorial service here on Friday, and so they are expecting a lot of people and they're expecting a lot of young people. So a couple things, requests that I have. First of all, that you would just pray uh, for the service, and we have opportunity to give the gospel to a lot of young people that need to hear the gospel, and we're going to do that. So I just ask for wisdom as, as we have the service, and they hear um, about the cross of Christ, and that there is hope, and that the Lord loves them. And so we want to give that message to them. They're expecting. We're going to try to get a few more chairs in here, extra row and uh, this to be filled and the coffee shop to be filled as well Uh, so a lot of people are going to be here Uh, a lot of young people are going to be here anthony was only 25 years old and so um, just pray for friday also with me i want to be available to minister to the family and uh and to minister to jerry and eileen and and uh, pastor jim's going to be busy so i'm kind of blowing the trumpet for a little bit of help they're also going to have a reception here on Friday afterwards. And so um, if we can get, um, you know, just a little bit of help, uh, that would be a blessing on Thursday and on Friday. On Thursday, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be clearing off this platform of everything that takes a little bit of work, um, just kind of doing some cleaning. And there's a lot of little things that um, need to be done. I mean, there's things falling off the walls and things like that. Um, weeds that need to be pulled and the grounds need to be they're up kept but the weeds have just kind of taken over and Jim will go out and pull a few weeds but then he's got other things that he needs to do and so um, that would be a blessing if we can kind of spruce things up a little bit just a couple people on Thursday if anybody's available uh, helping prepare the sanctuary um, also we need to prepare those classrooms because uh, people staying for the reception, I can't stuff 150 people in the coffee shop, so we're going to be using classrooms and things like that. So that would be a, a blessing if any of you are available. And then on Friday, um, just uh, the, the memorial service is at 2 o'clock, right before uh, we're probably going to need um, people out in the parking lot just directing uh, traffic, making sure everybody you know gets in. Um, and then moving chairs after the memorial service, uh, setting up for the reception, things like that. They are going to have, we're going to have food that's going to be catered in, and uh, those to just help uh, in serving food, making sure everything's there. I really want to serve these people. And I want to show them the love of Christ, okay? And we talk a lot, and I get a lot of feedback about we need to do outreach, and we need to do outreach, and we need to do outreach. And I think, what do we do? You know, and, and that's, yeah, I understand that. This is outreach. And this is part of doing outreach. And this is reaching out to a lot of people who need to see the love of Jesus Christ. And so if you're available to help um, clean up afterwards, 
And, um, and so that would be a blessing. So um, again, I'm kind of blowing the trumpet. And there is a sign-up um, here at the info desk. If you can just jot your name down and phone number, and uh, we'll give you a call and kind of let you know everything that's going on, what we're going to be doing. So just keep that all in prayer, okay? And Father, we do ask that you would just help us as we reach out to others. And Father, that's what the church is to be about, is to be a light. And there's going to be a lot of people, and there's going to be young people coming in, wondering if there is hope, and wondering if there really is a God, and wondering what happens after we die, something that they don't think about a whole lot. And Lord, we want to give them the answers, and we want to show them the love of Christ in this place. And so, Father, help us in doing that. We ask for your wisdom and guidance, that we can bring the comfort that only truly you can give as we speak of Christ and his love, as we speak of the hope that comes through the cross of Calvary, as we, Lord, minister to these young people, that maybe the world can look at them and, and, and think that they're not significant or important, but we can let them know that they are in God's eyes, that God created them and loves them and, and desires for them to just, um, for them to give their hearts to him. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would just work in a mighty way on Friday. And Lord, that as we just continue going through the scriptures, and, and Lord, um, for us individually to, to grow in your word right now, and to be able to minister to others that we know that are linked to us in our lives, that come to us, that perhaps are troubled in their hearts, that we can say they don't have to be troubled, because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I pray that uh, tonight that as we go through a portion of Scripture that perhaps that we think is not significant, we can learn tonight. And Lord, that you would bless your people and you would equip us as we continue to grow in your word, equipping us to minister to others and to share with others your truth. And so, Father, open up our ears. We come into this place after a long day of working and being up early and some of us perhaps not even having dinner yet. So I pray that you'd help us be attentive to the things that you desire to show us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Numbers chapter 28, you recall that at this point in the book of Numbers, where we're at is that they are near the end of the 40-year journey uh, in the wilderness. They're wandering in the wilderness. And so the book of Numbers has showed us very clearly uh, the reason why they were there for 40 years doing laps around Mount Sinai and, and that was because of their disbelief, because of their disobedience and not going into the promised land. And so this new generation has been risen up. We saw a new census that was taken of that new generation that's about ready to go into the promised land. So we saw last week after that census in chapter 26, then in chapter 27, that the Lord comes to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to be gathered to your people. Moses has already been told that he's not going to go into the promised land because of uh, the error that he made there in Numbers chapter 20 when he struck the rock. And so Moses, I'm going to show you the promised land as we saw last week. You're going to see it as you're on Mount Nebo, and then you're going to be gathered to your people. So Moses' ministry in life has come to an end here. We know that as we saw last week that Joshua was inaugurated as he would stand there with the high priest and before the congregation and it was announced that he is now going to be the leader of the children of Israel. So everything else that we're reading here in the book of Numbers to the end of the chapter is these, these final preparations for them to go into the promised land. They've already come to the east side of the Jordan River, and they defeated those kings of Amorites and Bashan, and we are going to see that they're going to do battle with the Moabites here uh, in a couple chapters. And so those um, nations are going to be defeated. And then we're going to see that they're going to be ready to cross that Jordan River into the land of promise that God has swore to give to them, swore to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so um, everything that we read now is, is preparing for that time that they now enter into the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy that we'll go through, and we're going to go through it fairly quickly, is almost like Moses' last will and testament. It's a review of the law that was given to them, the ceremonial laws, the civic laws, all the things that they're going to need um, when they go into the promised land and, and they become established. And so that's what the book of Deuteronomy is going to cover. Then we're going to get into the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is one of my favorite books because it is a book of victory. 
as they cross there the Jordan River and they begin to do battle. So um, Numbers chapter 28, we see what is given to them. Again, this is preparing them for when they go into uh, the uh, promised land that chapters 28 and 29 are going to talk about the offerings that they were to present. Now, you recall in the book of Leviticus, in chapters 1 through 7, there were the offerings, the sacrifices that were prescribed to us. There was the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. And as we looked at those offerings that they were to the priests performed, that it was individuals that would bring those offerings. Now, you recall in the sin offering that it was also told to us uh, that an offering to be given uh, for the whole congregation as well. And so we also looked at the Day of Atonement, the offering that would be made. And so, but for the most part, those offerings were individuals that would come. The burnt offering, it was an act of worship, wasn't it? Uh, it was an, a free will offering where they would bring that animal, the worshiper, and then that animal would be consumed on the altar out there in the outer courtyard. And it symbolized that they were fully consecrated unto the Lord. They were given themselves fully to the Lord. And, and it has application for us. Lord, I want to be one that I want to surrender completely to you, all of my heart and soul and mind to love you with all of my heart, soul, and mind. I don't want to hold anything back. And so we are called, of course, in Romans chapter 12, to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And so uh, we talked about those sacrifices in those chapters of Leviticus. As we go through chapters 28 and 29, we're going to see that these offerings are going to be offerings for, on behalf of the nation. So these are offerings. They're going to be daily offerings and, and Sabbath offerings and monthly offerings, the offerings that are going to be presented at the feast. And so these are offerings on behalf of the nation, and that's going to help us to understand. Now, as we look at it, we begin with the daily offerings. Now, one of the things that I think as we go through this, we think, oh, no, we're going to look at these offerings and, and all the things that are prescribed here. But right off the bat, I, I want us to understand this, is that there's a lot of talk in the world today about what is being successful. There's the world's mentality about how it is that you can become successful. And we as Christians can kind of get sucked into that mentality if we're not careful. And what we need to understand is what God's definition is of being de uh, successful, how he views an individual and also, not just an individual, but a congregation, and also as a nation as being successful. You see, the world says that if you have power and prestige, that if you have um, you know, uh, popularity, if you are, are wealthy, then you are considered to be one that is successful. And we know that is not necessarily true. But we need to understand that in God's eyes, the one who is really successful is the one who's devoted to God. It is one that loves the Lord. It is one that has said, Lord, I, I want to live for you, and, and I want to serve you with all of my heart, and I want to follow after you. That's true success. Matter of fact, we're going to see in Joshua chapter 1 that it is going to be the Lord that's going to tell Joshua to meditate on the word of God day and night and you will be successful as you go into the land. The word of God planted in our hearts to guide us in our lives. We're devoted to the Lord. We love the Lord. That's what true meaning and success is and that will bring us true fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives as well. So we need to understand that and we need to teach that to our kids as well. Because how our kids and even ourselves, we can look at the celebrities of the world and we think, and, and I hear kids that say, and even my own kids, I'm going to be a billionaire when I grow up. And um, if God makes you a billionaire, praise God. But one of the things that I want to get across to my kids, that true success isn't in having things. It isn't in just popularity and prestige and power. And we are a society that we're just so enamored with those celebrities in entertainment or sports or whatever, and, and we want to be like them. Kids want to be like them. We've, of course, have been bombarded in the news about the death of Michael Jackson. One of the kids was just telling me tonight that, hey, Pastor Jeff, did you know that, that they kept Michael Jackson's brain? I said, they did? <laughs> I said, what are they going to do with it? They said, they, they, I didn't know. Put it in a museum, I guess. 
But there's, there's all this, you know, being enamored with, with an individual that at one time, who is, of course, known as the king of pop, in the height of his popularity and his wealth and prestige, that it seemed like he had the whole world. But as we look at his life, how his life tragically ended, an individual that, that was um, obviously the reports coming out that was not happy, an individual that was under the influence of a lot of drugs, and, and we don't know the whole story, but, but the thing is, is, is it reminded me when I heard of the death of Michael Jackson that Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And so we need to understand and we need our children to understand that this world is short and that true success comes by being devoted to the Lord and that we would pass that along to others as well and share that with others. And so if anything that we get tonight is that these things will help us as we make application to be devoted to the Lord and also as a church. The, the church, the mentality of the church at large today can take in, again, the world's definition of success. That if the church is large and has huge buildings and lots of programs and, and all these things that are taking place, and I'm not saying that God can't bless a ministry in that way. I know large churches that, that the Lord's hand is working and the Spirit of God is moving, but that's not necessarily success, the size and everything. It is, are the people devoted to the Lord? Are the people devoted to God's word? Are they sharing the love of Jesus Christ? Are they men and women in prayer? And that really is something that I want to remind you of here at Calvary Chapel because we hear a lot about the church and what the church should be and programs and this and that that come and go. And we see in the model of the church is that we are to continue steadfastly in the word of God and in prayer. I think one of the things that for any church that any church really or most churches and including ourselves that we can be as a church men and women that we can really um, remind ourselves how important prayer is and I know for me that Lord sometimes I feel like I lack in that area and so prayer is very important and there's power in prayer isn't it and I think that any church that isn't devoted to prayer is going to find themselves weak that isn't in the word of God is going to find themselves weak it was the church at Laodicea, the last church that Jesus wrote to in Revelation chapter 3, that they saw themselves as wealthy and, and uh, have need of nothing. And Jesus said, no, you are miserable and poor and wretched. And so Jesus sees things and God sees things a whole lot different than the world sees things. We need to be ones that we continue in fellowship and breaking of bread and loving others. And that's what is success of a church. And so if anything, we're going to, be reminded of those things as we go through these offerings. So let's begin to look at the daily offerings in chapter 28 of Numbers. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food, for my offerings made by fire is a sweet aroma to me. You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs, in the first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. And one-tenth of an ephod, in verse 5, of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And his drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as a morning grain offering and drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, sweet aroma to the Lord. And so we see here the daily burnt offering. There was one lamb that was sacrificed uh, there in the morning and then another one in the evening with the grain and drink offering. So this burnt offering given daily as the priest would perform that uh, daily offering in the morning and in the evening. And so I think that, um, as, as I think about that, it reminds me of what David wrote, that every evening and morning at noon I will pray and cry out to the Lord and he shall hear my voice. And I think that a good principle for us, we talk a lot about morning devotions. And this was something that I've been talking a lot to the high schoolers and the youth kids about is starting to get into that routine of having a morning devotion. Um, they're old enough to do that, to get up a little bit early. 
And it can be hard for some of the kids to do that. And so one of the things that we really emphasized, or I did at the camp was, is that when they got up before breakfast that they would have their devotion. So the kids were going out. It was quiet. Again, there wasn't noise. They, they weren't able to use cell phones and be on computers and things like that. They were able to get up on these beautiful mornings and be able to go out and have a little bit of devotion times. The boys were a little bit challenging than the girls. Uh, there was one morning where I went in. It was like 10 minutes before breakfast, and I said, Hey, you guys. Have any of you had devotion? Yeah, we had devotion. They're all in their sleeping bags. And, uh, <laughs> and we had a devotion in here is what we had. And I said, oh, what did you study? And actually, one of the boys rattled off um, one of the verses that they had been studying. I thought, hmm, pretty good. So, but we, we're trying to get them established in, in beginning that. In, in something at a young age, have devotions. Do that in the morning. But I think a good principle as well is not only start your day with the Lord, but in your day with the Lord as well. That as we come and say, Lord, I, I offer myself, I, I give myself fully to you today for you to guide and for you to direct, for you to strengthen me and, and to use me and whatever it might be, to be open to your leading today. And then at the end of the day, that evening sacrifice as you give unto the Lord, saying, Lord, thank you for today and thank you for providing for me and getting me through another day and, and, and just coming to the Lord. So I think that's a good principle for us as well, not only in the morning, but also in the evening when we can do that. So there was a daily offerings, and then verses 9 and 10, there was the Sabbath offerings. In verse 9 we read, On the Sabbath day, two lambs in the first year without blemish, and two tenths of an ephod of fine flour as a grain offering, mixed with oil with his drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering with his drink offering. So the Sabbath offerings, this was, again, an additional two lambs that would be sacrificed in addition to the daily offerings. So this was in addition to, there was twice as much sacrifice on the Sabbath as it was during the rest of the week. Now you may recall that it was Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. He's in the field with his disciples. The disciples are, are plucking the heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath day. And you recall that it was the religious leaders that came and they were so upset at Jesus and his disciples that what you guys are doing, they said to them, was it is unlawful. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. That is plucking heads of grain and eating them because they considered it to be work. You put the head of grain in your hand and you start to rub it. They consider it to be threshing. And so, um, you know, and harvesting. So what they were doing was lawful. The religious leaders were upset they were doing it on the Sabbath day. And you recall that it was Jesus that rebuked those religious leaders. And one of the things that he said, have you not read that how the priests would offer up the offerings there on the Sabbath day? And Jesus was quoting here from Numbers chapter 9 and 28, or making reference to this, how on the Sabbath day they would offer a double offering that it would be not just the morning and evening, the two lambs, but an additional two lambs that would be sacrificed as well. So Jesus was making a point in that. He, he was saying that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And so he would make reference to Numbers chapter 28, and then the monthly offerings, verses 11 through 15, and we read, At the beginnings of your months you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year without blemish. Three-tenths of an ephod of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil. For each bowl, two-tenths of an ephod of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram. And then one-tenth of an ephod of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb as a burnt offering of sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bowl, one-third of a hen of a ram, one-fourth of a hen for a lamb, and this is the burnt offering. For each month throughout the months of the year. In verse 15, also one kid of the goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be offered besides the regular burnt offerings and its drink offerings. So here is the monthly offerings that would be given. And so uh, later on in Israel's history, it's interesting, and I think this is worth mentioning, that when Isaiah the prophet came on the scene, he came on the scene just about the time that the ten northern tribes would be taken off into captivity. And he begins to prophesy to the nation of uh, Judah. And he was indicting them on their idol worship and on their false worship. And it's interesting that as you read through the book of Isaiah, there he oftentimes, as the Lord is rebuking the nation, would make reference to their offerings. In other words, there was a form of religiousness. You need to understand this, that in those days, 
that they were so far away from the Lord and, and the nation was just plunged into idol worship and uh, false worship. There was still, you can go through those chapters and the Lord is saying, your offerings, your burnt offerings, you know, your Sabbaths that you're observing, they don't honor me because what was happening, it was mixed in with a lot of paganism is what was going on. So there was a form of religiousness, but it was done in a false way. God was telling them to come back to that which is true, which is prescribed. The offerings that are prescribed here, the way that it was to be done, was the sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord. It would please the Lord, but the way that they were doing it was mixed in with a lot of false worship and a lot of false uh, practices, and it did not please the Lord at that time. And the Lord was telling them to repent from that and to turn back and, and uh, to worship Him in, in truth. So, the monthly offerings, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, right away in that chapter, God said that I, I hate your new moons and appointed feasts. The, the monthly offerings that you were doing, the new moons that would you know, begin the month as uh, we see in the Old Testament. And so uh, we are to be reminded of that. And the reason I'm reminding you of this whole point of Isaiah and they had a form of religiousness is because I think we see that today. I think we see that in the church today where there's religiousness, but there's a lot of things that are mixed into it and, and some of the churches have adopted that are not pleasing to the Lord, that, that are not according to truth. And, and we need to be wise and discerning. Of course, Paul would write some of the last words recorded in the New Testament in Second Timothy chapter 4 that he says that in the last days that there will be those who will depart from the faith, given over to itchy ears. And he talks about how they'll have corrupt minds and evil impostors will grow worse and worse. And he talks also about they having a form of godliness but denying its power. And so we need to understand that there can be a lot of religiousness. And I personally think, and this is of my own opinion, that as we get closer to the return of the Lord, that there is going to be more religiousness a form of religiousness and people's being religious. And speaking of that, I saw on ABC News, and I, you know, this summer it seems like I've just very seldom watched the news, but I just happened to catch a little bit as I came home after church and, and uh, was waiting for, um, you know, the next thing I needed to do, but caught a little bit of ABC News, and they were talking about a lady who had left um, one of the churches, I can't remember which denomination, and became a Muslim. She was very upset because they, you know, excommunicated her, from you know ministering there in that Christian church, and so there was a big deal about that. And so I think we're going to see more and more of that. Having that form of godliness, religiousness, and, and what seems to be good, but it's not according to truth. So that's what's happening in their months, and here the Lord is very specific in these verses how it is that they were to give that offering. And so then in verse 16, we read about the offerings at Passover. On the 14th day of the first month is the Passover to the Lord. And on the 15th day of this month is the feast, and leavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. So we know about Passover, don't we? Remember Exodus chapter 12, when the children of Israel are getting ready to leave Egypt, that it was the Lord that came along and said, as he instituted Passover on the 14th day, the first month, in Nisan, that is going to be the beginning of your year, and it's going to be Passover that you're to observe uh, year after year from generation to generation. And so what they were to do is they were to take the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, then put the blood on the doorposts and lentils, and then as the last plague was coming upon Egypt, the death angel, seeing that blood, would pass over, and so they would not experience the death by that death angel. And so that's the word Passover. And so we know that it's a powerful picture of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb who died for you and for me. And as we apply the blood, that is, as we come in faith and trust and believe in that Jesus Christ died for our sins, what he did for us on Calvary's cross, we pass from death to life, don't we? And so a powerful picture of Jesus. But then Following that was seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You recall what that was. And that was a feast that they celebrated with, where there was to be no leaven in the bread that they would eat and also no leaven to be in the homes. And, of course, leaven in the Scripture speaks of evil, speaks of sin. Paul talks about how, don't you know that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? And there is, he talks about sin. And don't you know that sin um, you know, can spread and corrupt 
And uh, so he's, he's dealing with that. Make sure that you purge out the leaven. Purge out the sin. And so it, it speaks of sin. And, and again, as we apply the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives, we, we become believers. The Lord's desire for us is that we purge the sin out of our lives. And, and the Lord does that by the work of the Holy Spirit. As we have this desire, Lord, help me to walk in obedience and help me to walk after you and to purge that sin out. And so, um, you know, anything that is in our homes, and, and I tell couples this all the time, uh, that come in and there's just uh, problems with perhaps teenagers and things that can come up and shows that they can watch. You know, purge those things out of your home that are going to cause you um, that little bit of leaven to begin to spread. Or, you know, th- don't have anything evil or corruption that is in your home. And make sure that you, the home is a place of safety and security in the Lord. Uh, purge it out of our hearts. Lord, help me to do that. And it needs to be a work of the Lord. There's so many things around us that, that it's easy to get sucked into those things that, that are sin and wrong and temptations out there, and we need the Lord's help. So very important lessons that, that we want to make sure that, Lord, help keep my heart clean, my home clean. No one any leaven that is there. So this was um, at the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this offering, as we read in verse 18, on the first day you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no customary work, and you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year. Be sure they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephod. You shall offer for a bull and two-tenths for a ram. And you shall offer one-tenth of an ephod for each of the seven lambs. Also one goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. And in this manner you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire daily for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. And then the Feast of Weeks in verses 26 through 31 we see the Feast of Weeks was known as what? Pentecost, wasn't it? Fifty days after Passover. Also on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your Feast of Weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs, in their first year. So you see this repetition, don't you? With their grain offering, a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephod, for each bowl, two-tenths for one ram, one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one kid of a goat, to make atonement for you. Be sure that they are without blemish. You shall present them with their drink offering besides the regular burnt offerings with this grain offering. So the Feast of Weeks, the primary meeting of the Feast of Pentecost uh, was not uh, for atonement, even though there was um, that uh, kid of a goat to make atonement for you, but it was a, a, a thanksgiving for the harvest for the beginning of harvest that would come in. And we need to live our lives, or we should live our lives as Christians, in, in constant reminder awareness of the atonement made for us. Jesus, thank you so much that you died for me and provided forgiveness and salvation and relationship with the Father and be thankful for it. I think that as a Christian, we should be thankful every single day for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I think it's important for us to do that. And we see that throughout the New Testament, it was something that Paul emphasized, that you and I as believers, that we are to have a heart of thankfulness. And we are, we are blessed. And I know that we go through difficult times, and we go through trials, and we go through hard times, and we go through loss, and, and we have sorrow in our lives. Just as some of you in this congregation have experienced loss and sorrow, and, and we grieve with you, and, and we share one another's burdens, don't we? But underneath it all, we can be thankful. That, Lord, that we do have hope. That you died for me, and you love me. And I know that it's something that I want to be thankful for every single day, and it's something that I want to share, that I have opportunity to with the young people that are going to come on Friday that they know what it is that you and I know and are so thankful for. And so here was, again, the, the, the thanksgiving for the harvest and, of course, Pentecost as it was uh, fulfilled uh, in Acts chapter 2. 
as we saw at the beginning of the first fruits, the beginning of the harvest, as the church was born on that day, as Peter would stand up and preach on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were saved. And so chapter 29, as we continue, offerings at the Feast of Trumpets, and, uh, and we read in chapter 29, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work for you. It is a day of blowing the trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one young bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephod for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also one kid of the goats is a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings, according to the ordinance of the sweet aroma offering made by fire to the Lord. So the Feast of Trumpets would be celebrated there in the fall of the year. We saw it in Leviticus chapters 23, um, in verse 23, as it was spoken of the, uh, the Feast of Trumpets. And it was also called the Feast of Ingathering. So you'll see that uh, in the scriptures. And that was bringing in the late harvest before the winter um, would come. And, and it was a, a celebration. So, you know, the, the Feast here of Trumpets, it's interesting that those who look at the prophetic picture, there are some who suggest that perhaps that it's going to be the rapture of the church that's going to fulfill the Feast of Trumpets. That the final gathering of us as the Lord comes for the church, the final gathering of the church, the Feast of Pentecost, of course, the beginning of the harvest, uh, Thanksgiving, and then the Feast of Ingathering is when we're all going to be gathered to church when the trumpet blows. Um, it'd be kind of neat if that happened, but it doesn't have to happen on the Feast of Trumpets. Just keep that in mind, okay? Jesus said, no one knows the day, the hour that I return, and I come when you're least expected. So he could come on, you know, this fall in the Feast of Trumpets, and it seems like everybody kind of, I get emails, watch it, Feast of Trumpets are coming up. And <laughs> To me, I would love it if the Lord came back tonight. <laughs> ah, yeah, big amen, right? <laughs> so every day be looking to it is what I'm saying. Every day be looking to the Lord. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us anyway. And the Lord could come back, I believe, today. He could come back tomorrow. I don't know when he's going to come back. But I believe that the Lord desires for us to keep our eyes on him. That we eagerly wait for the return of our Lord. And, and um, for us, when we're all gathered, and, and that's one of the things that uh, I can't wait till we're all gathered together. And we're in heaven with our Lord. That's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time, isn't it? So the Feast of Trumpets and then the Day of Atonement. Of course, the Day of Atonement we looked at. Um, here is going to be the offering 7 through verse 11 of chapter 29. We saw what the Day of Atonement was about in Leviticus chapter 16. It was the holiest day of the year. And it was when the high priest would go behind the veil and he would make atonement for the nation. And so in verse 7 we read, On the tenth day of this seventh month you shall have a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. You shall do, uh, not do any work. And here, when it talks about you shall not afflict your souls, sometimes, once in a while, somebody will ask me, what does that mean, that they, you know, afflict themselves in a way that they afflicted their bodies? It's talking about fasting. It was a day of fast. So that's what they would do. And, and I don't want you to get confused. It was interesting. I was over at Dad's um, a couple days ago, and, and Dad, in his Alzheimer's, he, uh, the TV's on, and... and um, you know, mom has it on for him. I don't know if he's really watching it, but there's this travel channel they had on. And it was an individual going through Pakistan and all the different areas. And they were up in an area of northern Pakistan where the Sunni Muslims were. And on this day, that was a holy day for them, uh, they would work themselves up in a frenzy. And then they would take these whips and they would afflict their bodies, the men would, to where their bodies were just bleeding all over the place, their backs. So that was customary. It was very hard to watch. Uh, and to see that. And when I saw that, it reminded me so much of what happened there on Mount Carmel. You recall there the story in First Kings when Elijah the prophet, he gave the challenge to the prophets of Baal that, you know, here you present a sacrifice and I will. You call upon Baal, see if he answers and consumes the sacrifice with fire. And so they were calling out to Baal, of course, that false god, and, and they continued and they, they worked themselves up in a frenzy and then they began to cut them. Is what the scripture says. 
It reminded me so much of, of that chapter. And of course, in Judges chapter 1, it says to the children of Israel that you should not mutilate yourselves. That's one of the things that, uh, again, that we see in the scriptures as God's people, they were not to cut themselves. They were not to afflict their bodies where they're bleeding and cut themselves and all of this other stuff. So here, afflict your soul is talking about uh, that it was a day of fasting. In verse 8, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure that they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephod for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as the sin offering, besides the sin offering for atonement, the regular burnt offering with his grain offering and their drink offerings. And then the last one here in the chapter, offerings at the Feast of Tabernacle, stay with me, will be done in just a little bit. So on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. He shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord, Thirteen young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in their first year, they shall be without blemish. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and one-tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Also one kid of the goats is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. And so the Feast of, of Tabernacles was, again, celebrated in the fall. It was the most festive of all the feasts. Uh, the three major feasts, uh, Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. When you read about it uh, in the gospel accounts, it was where the people would come to Jerusalem and they would uh, set up these little tabernacles. They also called it the Feast of what? Booths. They would set up these little booths. It was like a week-long camp out. And so they would remember how their father slept under the stars for 40 days, how God brought them through the wilderness into the promised land, how he, God provided for them water from the rock, and then also uh, manna that fell from heaven, and then how that stopped when they went into the promised land. And so all that was a part of their celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and so this week-long camp out commemorating how God was faithful to bring them out of Egypt through the wilderness wandering into the promised land. And so here what they were to do is offer 13 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs on the first day. And then on the second day, as the week would continue, they would offer one less bull. So uh, on verse 17, on the second day, present 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in the first year without blemish. And then verse 20, and, and, and then again it would be the same. So I'm not going to read it all to you. Verse 20, on the third day, be 11 young bulls that would be presented, two rams, 14 lambs, in the first year without blemish. And verse 23, and then on the fourth day, be 10 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs. Verse 26, on the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams, 14 lambs. Verse 29, on the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, 14 lambs. So everything else is the same. Verse 32, and then on the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, in their first year without blemish. And then verse 35, on the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. So verse 35 tells us that there would be a special eighth day that would be uh, where they would celebrate. There would be no work. There would be the sacred assembly. It is believed that on this eighth day, as we read in John's gospel, that Jesus, on the last day of the great feast, that he would stand up and he would say that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And it is also, as you read some of the um, writings, of what the priests did on the eighth day, what they would do is they would take these pots uh, that, uh, of water, water pots, they would walk down to the pool of Shalom, which means scent. You recall that it was Jesus who put mud on the blind man's eyes and told him, go wash in the pool of Shalom which means sent, and so the man had to go, and he had to walk about a quarter of a mile because it was at the very bottom. If you go to Jerusalem today, we'll show you where that was, from where the temple was. That blind man at the temple, Jesus says, you go and wash. And that blind man could have said, ah, man, that's too far of a walk. I can't see. Don't you understand? And besides, you just put mud in my eyes. But he went and he washed, and as he did, he came up seeing but the priests would, on the last day of the feast, they would walk down, they would fill up their pots, they would come up on the temple mount, and they would take those pots and pour out the water on the pavement there, symbolizing, first of all, how the Lord had provided through that rock, 
you recall Moses chapter 20. Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land because you misrepresented me. Paul comes along and he says, that rock was Christ. And Jesus stands up and says, if any of you thirst, let him come to me and drink. For out of your belly will flow torrents of living water. Are you here tonight and you thirst? And people of the world are thirsty. And it would be, of course, in John chapter 4 that Jesus said to that Samaritan woman that if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But I have living water to give to you. And you drink of the living water, you'll never thirst again. And I pray for you and for me as Jesus would say, come and as he declared to be the bread of life, come and eat of me and come and drink of me, that we would take of that invitation on a daily basis that we would have our daily devotions, that we would have and come and before the Lord and say, Lord, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Lord, fill me with your joy. And that day by day, we would just experience the refreshing of the Lord and the fullness of the Lord that he has for you and for me in our lives. And it's a wonderful way to live life and it's a wonderful way for you and for me that we know that we have come into the promised land, that is that, that life of blessing, that life of victorious living, that life of just joy and peace in the Lord as we just allow him to fill us to overflowing. The Lord wants to do that. And if we go after the things of the world, again, thinking that success is going to be, that it's only by what the world defines, that we know that there are people that seem to have it all, but you know what? They're miserable. And the ones that are truly happy in life, whether you have a lot or little, whether you're well-known or nobody knows you at all, but as you are devoted to the Lord and you are giving yourself as a living sacrifice and you're coming to the Lord, that know this, that you're going to be satisfied and fulfilled and that you're going to be one, that you're going to experience a successful life in the best way, in the best sense of the word. Because you have the Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything. And one other point I want to make, and then we're going to finish up here. So on verse 35, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. You shall present, verse 36, a burnt offering, an offering made by fire. It's a sweet aroma to the Lord, one bowl, one ram, seven lambs in the first year without blemish. And a grain offering and their drink offerings for the bowl, for the ram, for the lambs, by their numbers according to the ordinance. Also one goat of a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, his grain offering, his drink offerings. You shall present to the Lord your appointed feast, besides your vow offerings and your free will offerings, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings and your drink offerings and your peace offerings. In verse 40, so Moses told the children of Israel, everything just as the Lord commanded. So when you look at this, you add up all the numbers, you know what you come up with in a yearly time, as the nation would give these offerings at the different days and months and in, on the Sabbaths and then the different feasts, it would be uh, 1,086 lambs every year. 113 bulls, 32 rams. About a ton of flour, they suspect, 32 gallons of oil and wine. I thought you'd maybe be interested in those statistics. <laughs> but it cost them something, didn't it? And as we are a living sacrifice, know this, that there is a cost in it. There is a giving, that is, of us as we are living sacrifices unto the Lord. And it might be, as you're a living sacrifice to the Lord, it might be there's a cost that you're not going to perhaps be able, maybe it just might be time that it costs you. And I know that sometimes when the Lord wants to use us and for us to be ministering to others, it doesn't always come at the most convenient time all the time, does it? And I've talked to a few people about that. It's like some of us have said, you know, the summer, here it is, the end of July, we're going into August, I haven't been able to do anything, I, you know, because I've been involved in this or ministering to my family. There's a cost, and that, I say that's okay. That's okay. Because you're where the Lord wants you to be. And I can look and I think, oh, summer's been so busy and we want July to be a quiet time. And I look back and I think, boy, I haven't really had a chance to really do some of the things I wanted to do. And the Lord says, that's okay. So it might be just a cost of times and things that you're doing. The time of, you know, rather than turning on the tube and just 
you know, kicking back and, and all of that. Maybe, Lord, you know what, I'm going to flick it off and I just want to spend some time with you. It might be to a degree that as you're living for the Lord, you're living sacrifice for Him. It might cost you in your job, a promotion, relationships. But there is a cost. And that's one of the things that Jesus would say, that when you become my disciples, be sure to count the cost. And, but the thing is, it is worth it. And as we are going to finish Hebrews chapter 11 on Sunday, that we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews going through all those people of the Old Testament, and then he says, there's so much more and so many others I can mention, but time would fail me. And he talks about the persecutions and the stonings and being sawn in half and living in caves and wandering the desert. Some of them went through. Some of them experienced great victories. Others of them would be martyred. But understand this, that they all knew that there was a better resurrection. And know this, folks, as a living sacrifice, whatever it is that you cost. I love what Hebrews chapter 11 says, that, that, that the world's not worthy of those who've been persecuted and afflicted and martyred for Jesus Christ. And know that what, what waits for us, a better resurrection, a heavenly inheritance, is going to be so much more than anything that's going to cost you in this life. You have gained the Lord, eternal salvation, forgiveness of sin, and a heavenly inheritance. And so if it costs us some things here on this earth, the Lord is worth it, isn't he? Praise God. And we can just say, you know what, Lord, it's okay. If it costs me a promotion, I'm going to follow after you. If it costs me, you know, some time where I know that I need to just put down the newspaper and go up and pray with my kids, that's okay. If it's going to cost me a relationship of some sort, whatever it might be, because that old friend or whatever it might be, they want to drag me into that which is wrong, that's okay, Lord, because you are worth everything to me. And you gave everything for me as you died for me. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that, um, Lord, these offerings we can look and be reminded of some important principles as we make application. And, Father, I just pray that tonight as we finish the evening, Lord, again, we just come and help us to be ones that have a heart of thankfulness. And, Lord, on a daily basis, just coming to you, giving our hearts and our time. And, Lord, that we would be ones that are devoted to you, knowing that that is what success truly is. Father, I pray for those tonight who, have, again, who have gone through challenges in the last few weeks or months. Lord, that you would just bring just that special comfort and word that they need.